Hey, good morning. Happy Easter. I'm Dave, if we not met. Um, Easter 2022. What? How can it already be 2022? I feel like I'm in one of those Geico commercials when I say that. Like, I'm, I'm now my parents. Time's going by so fast. I can't believe how fast it goes. But no, seriously, Easter 2022, I can't believe it. Um, we started, we got a question for you. How many of you would say you're good at waiting? One of the things I'm pretty decent at, raise your, no, really, you can raise your hand. Okay, that's good. Yeah, own it. I, some of you are. Some of you are great at waiting. Others of us, not so much. Uh, not great at waiting. Um, I would, I actually put myself in the category of some things I'm great at waiting and some things I'm terrible at waiting. Uh, one of those things that I'm, I'm okay at waiting is, um, I, I recently told you that I, I had a Toyota Matrix that got totaled back in October, and so I've spent a number of months trying to buy a vehicle. Not a great time to buy a vehicle. It's been a little bit of a challenge, but I'm up to the challenge, and so I'm going to do my research. One thing about me is I'm going to do my research, and then I'm going to find it, and it only took me, what, you know, six months to, to find a car, and I finally did it. Finally pulled the trigger, finally bought a car, but here's the thing. I don't have any buyer's remorse about the vehicle. I, I have a little bit like, what do I do now? What am I going to research now? My wife will find me. I'm still online doing car research. She's like, we don't need another vehicle. I'm like, I know, but, but I, liked, I liked the waiting. The waiting was the fun part. And so for me, the research, it's, that's the fun part. But once it's all over, like, well, what do I do now? Now I got it. Now I just have to drive it. That's not the fun part for me. So in that, as we take a look this weekend at uh, what it looks like for us to, to wait, one of the things we all have in common is we live in life, we live waiting for something. There's something that's coming along. If you're a student, you're waiting for graduation. Um, it, maybe you're waiting for your next vacation. It's finally, like you can go on vacation again. It's wonderful. And I can't wait until I get to go on vacation or I'm waiting for um, that next promotion at work. I'm waiting for that, that next bonus check that's at work. I'm waiting for that next rejection, that next acceptance. I'm waiting for the next thing, whatever it may be in your world. We live a lifetime of waiting. And one of the things that we're living in the midst of is waiting for the return of Jesus. That's where we find ourselves. In between the third day and the day when Jesus comes back, we find ourselves waiting. And what do we do now that we're waiting? We're in a short little series we're calling Three Days, talking about this theme that's actually throughout Scripture, this theme that plays out throughout God's story, that the third day is the day in which redemption comes. In God's story, the third day throughout the Scriptures is the day in which redemption came. It's kind of ushered in, like we talked about last week, through the prophet Hosea talks about this concept, but but Abraham, and then the children of Israel, and then Joseph, we see um, the prophet Hosea talk about it. We see Jonah live, live it out, and ultimately we see the culmination in Jesus and the time between his, his death and resurrection, that the third day is the day when God brings redemption, and the third day is the day that God brought resurrection, and so that's why we're here. We're here Gathered together today because it's Easter, but why? What, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Easter? Jesus is alive. I had somebody this morning say to me, walked in, I said, he's risen. And you know, he, I think he read ahead. He said, um, Jesus is alive. I'm like, I like that better. 
He's risen. He's risen indeed. Great, historic, scriptural even response. But isn't it better for us, like, Jesus is alive? Isn't that a better greeting? Like, hey, he's alive. Yep, he's alive. Because guess what? We have to remind ourselves in this time between his resurrection and his return, the, the, the days in which we live, we have to remind ourselves of what is true. And you know what's true? Jesus is alive. And that gives us a reason to celebrate today. So first and foremost, it's Easter. Celebrate. Celebrate, enjoy your family, enjoy the time that you get to spend, enjoy the food you get to eat, eat too much. Don't do do that, gluttony's a sin. But out of that, but out of that, today is a day of celebration. But so what, what do we do the other 364 days out of the year? Yeah, I know, well, it's Christmas, so let's make it 363. What do we do with the other 363 days out of the year? And, And I would say you can't live your life like every day's Easter. You can't live your life like every day's a party. So how then do we live, how then do we live in light of this fact that Jesus is alive but in everyday life? Now, when we talk about resurrection, we talk a lot, Two Rivers Church, we talk a lot about resurrection. And the reason we talk a lot about resurrection is it is the hope that's pointed to throughout the scriptures. We sing a lot about resurrection in our worship time through song. We sing a lot about resurrection. Why? It is the hope that we have that we are already alive spiritually in Christ and that someday we'll be alive spiritually and physically um, forever with Jesus, we, that that will be true of us. And it's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. The resurrection is the truth on which everything else hinges. And this once a year celebration is a time for us to be reminded in order that we would live every other day in our lives like that, like Jesus is alive. One of the authors that I read this week said it this way, that the gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the gospels. Belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the faith. It is the Christian faith. It's the distinctive of Christianity from every other religion in the world is the fact that we have a risen, real alive God-man named Jesus who, who traded his life for our life in order that we might live forever with him, that, that we have a risen Savior. That's what makes us distinct. That's what makes us di- different than from what everybody else believes, and it's also why you can't believe another religion and in Jesus as well. It's not possible to say, well, it could be Jesus and. Jesus doesn't leave us open to that. And so it's the reality of the resurrection that gives us hope that that we would be able to live differently, not just because of what's gonna happen in the future and so I can do whatever I want today. Nope, we live today differently because of what's gonna happen in the future when we become a resurrected people with a resurrected Jesus. This weekend, here's, here's the thing we want you to walk away with. Jesus is alive so I can live like it. If you, if you know Jesus, okay, Jesus is alive so you can live like it. You need to remind yourself of this. This is one of those everyday kind of messages. Jesus is alive so I can live like it. When? Today? Now, we know this is intellectually true. Right? We know this is true, but it's something different to take something that I know intellectually and put it into practice in my life. And so what does it look like to live like Jesus is alive? What's that look like, to live like Jesus is alive? Well, Paul actually has written this letter, what's called 1 Corinthians, and in that letter, he describes to us what it looks like to live like Jesus is alive. And so you can grab your smartphone, grab, grab your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, 
And, and what we're going to do is we're going to start with just a little bit of overview of the book of Corinthians, and here's why. We just don't want to jump into one verse, pull it out of context, and go, okay, have a nice day. We want to understand the scriptures in the context. It's also why we do things in series here, so that we don't have to spend as much time talking about the context. Um, next week, we'll kick back off in the book of Genesis, and we'll be moving along through a book in the Bible, but over these two weeks, as we take a look at this letter, it's important that we would know something about these people we call the Corinthians, the followers of Jesus who are living in Corinth some 2,000-ish years ago, that, that just short of, that, that lived in this city that was a major cosmopolitan kind of place. We could call it that today. It was a cultural hub. The, the people who lived there, what were they like? Often, often when we read about the scriptures and we read about people who lived 2,000 years ago, we think those people, like how smart could they have been? How smart really could they have been? People who lived that long ago and longer, they invented stuff like math. They invented math. How smart do you gotta be to invent math? Pretty smart, right? How, how smart do you gotta be to invent stuff like um, the alphabet? Pretty smart. You have to be pretty smart. The people who invented languages, they lived a really long time ago. And so we often just think, well, how, how smart could the people of history really have been? They, they could get things to work without power. They, they had the ability to build water systems and, and, and move water from place to place with gravity. I'm not really sure how that all works. I just, you know, like, I just go in my, turn the, the faucet doesn't work. That's all I know. The faucet doesn't work. These people were, were like, okay, how would we get water from here to there? How would we build a structure? They were really smart people. And there's a belief that they had that's actually influenced how you think to this day. And that belief that the, the Greek thinking people who lived in Corinth, the belief that they had was, that, that the body that you have is physically corrupt and is sinful. In other words, the, the greatest good was to flee the body and to live on another spiritual plane that, that the spirit that you have would be disconnected from the body, you would finally be free, and you'd be able to live in this higher plane, a higher spiritual plane as you left your body behind and you entered into this higher spiritual plane. That was the belief that they had. And there's plenty of people today who still view the world like that. And if we're not careful as, as Christians, we can sometimes un, unintentionally fall into talking like that's the greater good. That that has nothing to do. Paul wants the followers of Jesus in Corinth to know that a disembodied spiritual existence is not in their future. That, that that isn't what, what Jesus came and gave his life for. And he makes this argument about the resurrection. And so the first part of the letter is all about why they should live a certain way. Hey, given, given the fact that you're followers of Jesus, don't live like the rest of the people in your culture. Live this way. And he talks about sexual immorality and what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ. And then he comes to chapter 15 where he makes this argument about resurrection. And, and Mark covered for us last week that, that he begins off in, in this part of this letter talking about, hey, the message that I gave to you, it's the same message that I received, what, that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, 
that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And he uses this phrase, the third day. The third day is what? That's the day that redemption comes. Now, sometimes we look back and be like, yeah, but he told them. He told them the third day. Didn't he tell them that? Like, they're saying in accordance with the scriptures, and Jesus has said in accordance with the scriptures. The problem is there's actually nowhere in the scriptures where it says that explicitly. It's about understanding God's story enough to know that that's the day. In accordance with the scriptures, it's in accordance with the way God acts, the third day is the day in which God's salvation come. And that's our story. The third day is resurrection day. And every day that we live as followers of Christ are in light of the ultimate third day, resurrection. The, the resurrection of Christ. And so then what he does is he begins to make the argument that, that Jesus' resurrection is true, and because Jesus is raised, you also will have a resurrection. And as he works his way through chapter 15, he talks about how sin is conquered, how you no longer have to, to live um, a life of fear because of sin. And, and so here's what the invitation is for you to do this week. If you look on your bulletin, this is a little bit different than we usually do things, on the back of your bulletin is just an overview of um, 1 Corinthians 15, like the, the physical resurrection of Jesus as he lays out the argument and then talks about our future, future resurrection to go through that. And then everything that's in the middle is about you looking back at, 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 on Easter. As you walk through Monday through Friday the, this week going, okay, what does it look like for me to live in light of the fact that, that the resurrection is true? Where we're going to zoom in, though, is in the ultimate so what of Easter. Hey, it's Easter. Celebrate, and then what? And so as we come to the end of this section of this letter, it's, it's really powerful. In verse 57, he writes, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he could end this argument right here. He said, hey, live this way. Live like a transformed people. Don't allow sexual immorality into your world. Don't, don't allow the sin of this world to overcome you. Hey, why? Because Jesus is alive and sin is conquered. Hey, glory be, right? Glory be to God. Thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus, right? Some of you know that song. That, that's great news. And he could stop right there. But he goes on and he hits the so what. And here it is. Therefore, so what? Therefore, my beloved brothers, that, that, that's my fellow followers of Jesus. My beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of the fact of resurrection, what? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So if, if we're a follower of Jesus, what's it mean to be steadfast and immovable. It means that as followers of Christ, we, we are a people who persevere. That, that as the world pushes back on us, if Jesus is alive, we persevere. If Jesus is, if we believe that Jesus is alive, we're going to be a people who persevere. This issue of perseverance is it's a theme that runs throughout scripture. Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. James writes about it. What's it look like for us to be a people who persevere in the faith? In the early church, there's a guy by the name of Ignatius. Don't expect you to know him, but he wrote to another guy by the name of Polycarp. Don't expect you to know him either. 
But in that letter that he wrote to them, he wrote, Do not let those who appear to be trustworthy, yet who teach strange doctrines, baffle you. One of the ways that we stand firm is in what we believe. When the world is pressing in on us and telling us that what we believe is crazy, how could you believe in the exclusivity of Jesus? How could God only provide one way? How could, how could God expect people to only, only have one path towards him? The answer is, it's just true. Resurrection. It's resurrection. That's the reason. Do not let those who appear to be trustworthy, yet who teach strange doctrines, baffle you. Stand firm like an anvil being struck with a hammer. It is the mark of a great athlete to be bruised yet still conquer. But especially we must, for God's sake, patiently put up with all things that he may also put up with us. Man, I love that. You talk about a countercultural message to the Christian church in which we live. The church today is like, come to Jesus because he's lucky to have you. Man, he'll be so fortunate if you would just give your life to him because Jesus is really into you. This is the exact opposite. Like, I can't believe God would put up with me. Can you believe that God would put up with you? I, people in my life don't put up with me. They're like, we're not having any of that. You need to knock that off. You need to stop being that way. So God, God is for us. Resurrection is proof. But it says stand firm, and I love this language, like an anvil being struck with a hammer. How firm? That firm. What's an anvil's only job in life? It's to get hammered. It's his only job, pun intended. It's only job is to get hammered over and over and over again. Why? Whatever it is being shaped on an anvil, it gets put into place and then it gets beaten into submission until it turns out to look like the craftsman wants it to look. How? Through pressure and beating. What a great illustration! That's the Christian life. What's it look like for us to be a people who stand firm in the midst of pressure of life as, the, as it gets over and over and over? You're silly. How could you believe that? How could you believe in Jesus? Don't you know that's crazy? Don't you know you're crazy? How could you possibly believe that? It is the mark of a great athlete to be bruised yet still conquer. For all of you who think like it's just modern day um, people who teach the Bible who jump into the sports illustrations because they're the easiest to come up with, that's not true. That's been around for a really long time. We didn't even invent the Olympics, not even close. Like people back in the day running for, for sport, that was a thing. Really smart people back in the day, the Greek people, they invented that. We're just glad we don't run around like they did back in the day because they ran around naked, just in case you're wondering. Here we go. When the first place that we can, can live like Jesus is alive, that we can persevere is when adversity comes. Jesus is alive so I can persevere in adversity. Whatever that is, there's a whole range. You know, put it on a scale of one to 10. One is light adversity, 10 is massive adversity. At any given time, it's likely that either you or somebody you know is somewhere on that scale of adversity. It could be light adversity, it could be major adversity, in some way, shape, or form. You know, like you, they're, de they're dealing with something. 
your kids are dealing with something, your parents are dealing with something, your friends are dealing with something, some way, shape, or form, there's some kind of adversity in their world. Paul says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, here's the thing. In the New Testament, and we talk about this a lot because it's really important that we would grasp the concept. In the New Testament, belief is tied to action. New Testament belief is tied to what we do. We can't disconnect them. In a New Testament use of the word belief, we can't disconnect it from action. Because in, in, in the New Testament, those two things are tied together. Now, in our culture, we can believe all kinds of crazy stuff and never act on it because we believe it. That's an English understanding of belief. The New Testament idea of faith or trust leads to a response in action. So it's really important that we know that. And because that's true, how we face adversity demonstrates what we believe. How we respond when the hammer strikes the anvil demonstrates what we believe. And I wish that was not true. Man, I wish that wasn't true. Some of you, when, when the hammer strikes, when adversity comes, some of you, you respond in an instant in faith. I admire you. I wish I was like you. But that isn't how I respond. When, when adversity comes in my world, my first reaction is probably anger. That's probably my first reaction. I probably get angry. My, my second reaction is I probably start whining. That's my second reaction. God, I can't believe. Why this? Why now? Why me? Why, you know? and, and I have to go back and remind myself that God hasn't wronged me. Now, I'm, I'm, I love you enough to, to say that. There's, in a crowd this size, there's likely people out there that you feel like God has betrayed you, God has wronged you, Jesus has abandoned you in some way, shape, or form. And this can be super direct because I love you enough to tell you this. If you believe that God has ever wronged you and you have life in Christ... Right? If you believe that God has wronged you, I'm going to give you one word, resurrection. Resurrection says God has never done you wrong. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what the circumstances you face, no matter how hard they are, no matter how difficult it was, no, no matter how betrayed you felt or how tragic the incident was, God has never betrayed you because of resurrection. Jesus is proof that you've never been betrayed, that resurrection is proof that you have life in the future in him. And so anything that happens between today and resurrection day Count it all joy, brothers, when we face trials of any kind. It has nothing to do with God's love for you or, or the reality of who he is. It is simply the reality of living in a broken world. Resurrection is the hope we have. Resurrection. God, when that tragedy struck, I can't believe you. You know what he says? Resurrection. Jesus was raised so that you can live like it's true. Jesus is alive, so you can live like it's true. So most likely, here's what happens for us. Perseverance requires a choice over time. If you're like me, your initial reaction, it's in the gutter. But then you just need a little time. And so what's your, as people come around you and they remind you of what is true and you get a little perspective, God's not expecting you that in an instant, if you don't respond perfectly in an instant, that, that you're demonstrating that you're totally without faith. No, your reaction in an instant is simply your reaction. What you do over a span of time demonstrates what you believe, and so it begins a process. I told you I bought a car. 
there's something you need to know about my Toyota Matrix that got totaled is um, for years, I drove that car with a cracked windshield, like for a really long time. I haven't done the math. This is the fourth time I've told the story. I still haven't done the math. Something like 15 years. It had a cracked windshield from shortly after I got the car um, back in 2005. Um, I had a chip in the window. A couple years later, it had a crack that ran all the way across. And so since, you know, basically 2007, the cars had a cracked window. Everybody who ever got in my car, you know what the first thing they said to me is? Do you know your windshield's cracked? Do you know, do you know you got a crack in your windshield? And what would I would be like, what? <laughs> no, I don't know that. What, what do you mean? My windshield's cracked. Now, granted, on, it was on the passenger side. It was, you know, in the lower corner of the window. It was about this big. And then it ran all the way across. But it wasn't through my field of view. You know what the second thing that they told me was? You better be careful. You'll get a ticket. I'm like, this is year 12. I'm doing okay. <laughs> ah, okay. All right, thanks. But, but last summer... I started to get a little bit nervous because I was thinking about giving this car to my daughter. I know, huge gift. I know, Toyota Matrix. But with a cracked windshield. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll spruce it up for you. I'll, I'll change out the window. So August, new window. October, total. Bam! <laughs> Five months later, six months later, I got a new car. My wife, my wife loved me enough. She drove to Pennsylvania. I bought the car online. Uh, my wife drives to Pennsylvania to pick up the car, drive it down here. Um, she, she comes back with the car on a Wednesday, Monday morning. I'm driving to work. I'm right over here off of Kingston Pike going back to, uh, by a construction site. Truck pulls out, has a bunch of gravel, decide to trail it out of the thing and out of the work site. And bam, big rock in my window. Bam. It was, it, it was like a gunshot. And what was my reaction? No! That was my reaction. What? And I'm looking, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And right down in the corner of my window on the side, there's this big old chip. I'm like, what? The car's not a week old. So I come to work. I get out of my car. I come in the building. I I work for Jesus for a living, and I can't get over the fact... Then I got I, I walk in my office. I have to walk right back out. I'm like, I can't think about another thing that I just took a rock to my windshield. And what am I going to possibly do? So what do I do? I drive to Safe Light, right? Safe Light repairs. Safe Light, you know. <laughs> nope. Not when there's not a window in the system in America. There's not one window for my car. I go to the dealer. They're like, oh, hey, we, there's none in the system. You have to go. I'm like, that can't be true. I go to the dealer. You know what they tell me? There's not one in America. Supply chain issues, if you haven't heard. <laughs> what? August. Come see us in August. Or you, know, you can order it for it now, but it, that's about, well, uh, yeah, but we don't know. TBD. But August, maybe. So every day, what do I get to do? I get to watch this crack in my window that started out here. I get, it grows by three inches. It's halfway across my window at this point. And so everybody who hops in my car now, they're like, well, it's just fitting. It's a Dave Groon car. It's got to have a crack in the window. I'm like, no, it's amazing. Isn't this great? My family does what? They make fun of me. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have been okay with them making fun of me. Why? Because it's just every morning when I get in the car, it's a reminder. 
And now, don't come up after me and be like, God's got a message for you in the cracked window. Yeah, I get it. I can't have nice stuff. I get it. I know that's a silly example, but the adversity that comes, and here's what I had to do. I had to get some perspective, right? It's just stuff. And you got a story in your world, right? You, you, so you got a brand new car. They dropped a bicycle on it, or, you know, you, your kid's decided, hey, we got a new car, let me spill the drink in the back that you decided they probably shouldn't have had. It's not about the stuff. It's about the, how we respond. How is it that we get perspective? How do we persevere with our choices over time? Peter writes about this in his letter. We call it First Peter. He said, blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire." that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that you would know that that pressure that comes, that adversity that you face, that it's shaping you, it's molding you, it's, it's, it's changing you in ways that nothing else could. Is that hammer hits the anvil, God's at work in your world, and, it, and you can take hope knowing what Jesus is alive. I can face tomorrow. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Because he lives, right? Like, because he is alive, I can live my life today. So Jesus is alive, not just so I can face adversity, but that I can also persevere in the day-to-day. You work for Acme Dynamite Company. You know, whatever company you work for, you're an accountant, you, 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 you do that numbers thing day in, day out, and you're like, what difference am I making in this job? You're reminded for all the investment you give in reflecting Jesus in your work, for all the investment that you get, and in, in, in that world in particular, making sure that you're upright and you're doing the, that all that you know to do to make sure that you are reflecting Jesus in your workplace, that it's not in vain. Some of you, you have jobs where it's more readily apparent on the influence that you have in people's lives. You're a, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're an emergency responder in some way, shape, or form. You have more interactions with people in crisis moments, and you have more opportunity to shape your lives. But, but others, you're like, I don't know that I see it. I believe that Paul wants you to know that, that as you continue to, to invest in those day-to-day relationships, it's not in vain. It's maybe more apparent if you're a school teacher as you invest in, in kids, like, hey, I have a chance to shape their future, than, than it is that if you're a janitor at the school and you feel like, you know what, I'm just sweeping the floors, but I guarantee you, you how you sweep those floors, how you talk and interact with the teachers, with the kids, I guarantee you it makes just as much difference that you can make an impact for the kingdom of God in how you reflect the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive. And that changes our perspective. So it, it can be really hard to get our mind around like this idea of resurrection and how we live. And so um, I'm gonna use the illustration of, of marriage. And so if you're not married, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about married life. Um, I'm gonna talk about every couple. If, 
If there's anybody in here who I actually did your wedding, it's not true about you. But um, every couple that I did their wedding, they, they, they all came in from the same starting place of figuring out, like, well, we kind of got this figured out. Like, we're the first couple in history. We got this all figured out. Why? We're in love. We're in love. And I'm like, well, that's all it takes. That's all you need, man. You'll be, you'll be good. No, that's not what I tell them. I'm like, that ain't enough. That's going to get you through the first week. Then you got to have a choice. You got to have made a choice. You have to have said, you know what? I'm resolved. I've made a choice. But then you enter in. And on that first day, you're, you're fully married, right? The first day you get married, you're fully married. And before God, your family and friends, he sees you as married. But do you know what you're doing? And the answer is No. You have no idea what you're doing. You know what? I got married. My wife loved Jesus. I love Jesus. Did we know how to love Jesus together? And the answer is no. We had no idea what we were doing. But, and we, and we like, I watched my parents, parent, her parents, and still, like, how do I exist with another human being all the time? This is hard. So, so we begin to go, okay, we're married. But now as we look back, we're 26 years in the rearview mirror. And as we look back over time, we're like, Oh, we're not where we were. I, I, every year I gain a little bit more understanding of what it means to be married, of what it means to, to, to really love my wife, what it looks like to, for us to, to, to be one flesh. Like, were we one flesh on day one? Yes. Did we really realize what that looks like? And some of you, you've been married for 50 years and you're like, oh, my young man, you don't even know, right? You're not even halfway there. Come ask me, you know. I, I. When we come to faith, right, when we, when we enter into the resurrected life, that we have a spiritually resurrected life, when we go from death to life because we, we become a new creation in Christ, we become followers of Jesus, we enter into a resurrected life that someday in the future will be a physically resurrected life. But in the meantime, we're learning. What does it mean to live in light of resurrection? It's day one. God doesn't expect you to have it all figured out. Some of us have been doing this longer than others. And as we look back in our lives, we're like, wow, what, what I thought I knew a year ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and, and what I'm experiencing today, it's different. Why? It grows over time. We, we grow in understanding what does it look like for us to live out this resurrection life. Jesus is alive so we can live like it. If you're a follower of Christ, he's alive so you can live like it. It's a life that he's called us to live. And so as you take a look at the next steps there, I've already given you one that, that you would go through this week. You would really engage. That You wouldn't just look, at, look back and go, okay, that's a nice truth. But no, how do I live in light of the truth that Jesus is alive? When the rock strikes my window, how do I react? What, what is the thing in my life that brings me adversity that, that I'm like, okay, I have to be able to step into that. And so in our next steps, the first one is to make the choice to trust Jesus receiving resurrection life. I want to talk about making a choice. When, when I use that frame, making a choice, I'm not talking about that you would intellectually decide. That's, that's, a, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a choice that's put into action. It's the same thing as belief, okay? I, I, I can choose to lose weight, but I don't actually make that choice until I go on a diet, until I put different things in my mouth. Then 
That's a choice. Before that, it's an idea. It's a thought. It's a concept. So what I'm talking about is not a thought or a concept of, of trading your life, but, but, but trusting Jesus, making the choice that you would say, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. And that means that you now have a spiritually resurrected life that will someday be a physically resurrected life. You become a follower of Christ. That's the beginning. The life that we've talked about this whole time is only available to those who give their lives to following Christ. That's it. That's the first step. And so if you find yourself in that place, we're going to ask you that you would you'd write it down, that, that on the front of your bulletin, there's a connection card, that you would just write on the front your name, and that you would say on the back, you can say, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today. You check that box or maybe make a little comment. Why? We would love to celebrate with you. And as you leave today, in the back, there's an offering box. You can just slide it in there or... There'll be some people in the back of the room um, that you can maybe hand it to. Um, nobody, nobody's going to be like, oh, they're going to be so excited for you. The next two next steps are, are, are ones that for the, once you have life in Christ, that there's two things. One is to remember the truth when adversity arises. And so that's going to be one that's just a principle. And I can't tell you what the adversity is going to be in your world this week. It could be a one. It could be a 10. But, but it's likely you're going to have some kind of adversity in your life this week. Maybe as you walk into the parking lot and somebody backs into your automobile. Who knows what's in store for you? But how do you remember resurrection? I, I, I'm praying that that's the word that will pop into your mind. Adversity strikes and you remember resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And then that you, you would make the choice to invest in people in the day-to-day. Invest in people in the day-to-day. In other words, as people come across your path, not to see them as an inconvenience or to see them as a distraction, but to know that, okay, in this moment, trust what's God up to in this moment as I have this interaction. As you get ready, you get called into your boss's office and you're like, okay, I'm going in there. I don't know what this is all about. He's scary. Resurrection. Jesus, I need you now. Help me to live through this interaction when you're getting ready to call that person who works for you into the office and give them some kind of instruction that, that you would say, okay, resurrection, how do I do this in a loving and kind way? It may even be letting them go. Whatever it is, how do I do it in a way that reflects the fact that Jesus is alive? But now in this moment, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus in on a question. And that is to allow God to encourage our heart where we're already making an impact. We often don't, we don't allow God to encourage us. I think as a practice as people, we only see the deficiency in us. We see what we're not up to. And we don't even think that God might actually be pleased with something that you're already doing. That he might actually be like, hey, that's, I like that about you. He loves stuff about you. He likes stuff about you. He, he's not expecting you to, to be a finished work. He's like, I know you're in process and I'm about ready to hit you with the hammer. But you're doing this great. You're doing great. Allow him to bring to mind where you're making an impact. And so you may never ask God a question before. I, I want to encourage you. This is a profound practice that, that, that could be, uh, it can really be a great encouragement to you. That if you ask God a question, I, I, he'll answer. And so if you have a name of a person that comes to mind, you see a face of a person that comes to mind, I want to encourage you. Grab your phone, get out the notes app, write that name down. 
to say, okay, God is speaking into my world. I'm making an impact in that person's life. If there's something that comes to your mind where, where you're making an impact, write it down. And then as you walk into this week, say, God, bring to mind what you want me to know about where I'm making an impact. And so what we're going to do right now, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be at like 30, 45 seconds where we're going to ask God to speak into our world. If you're new and never done this before, we do this every week. Here at Two Rivers, we believe God's active and he's speaking into our world. Every week we ask him questions. But this week, I'm gonna invite everyone here, ask God, show me where I'm making an impact. Ask him that question. Rivers, a couple weeks ago, I said that I was going to try and be better about sharing when God does these little things in, in my life, you know, little, little things that he's doing along the way. And this Thursday afternoon, um, I was supposed to be on a, on a Zoom meeting with a group of ministry leaders, and, and I was not excited about being there. I was not excited at all. I've been up since really early Thursday morning. I was ready to go home. I was done, but you know what? You got to show up, so I showed up. In the midst of that, um, God, God encouraged me in a way, like answered a question in my heart I didn't even know was there. It was so cool. And, and here's the thing. It didn't require that I fixed anything in my world. It didn't require that I made my heart right. It didn't require that I confessed all my sin and got right and then I got in God's presence and then he showed up. Nope, it just required that I just showed up. And I was reminded so often in our lives, it's just about putting ourselves in a position to hear from God. It's just about putting ourselves in a position where we put ourselves in God's way. And it's not a matter about what I do, but it's about what he's going to do. And then a really cool thing happened. I, I, I told the story in uh, last service, and I was walking out the door. This lady's like, I was praying for you Thursday afternoon. That's cool. God's at work. Jesus is alive. So we can live like it. And you know what that means? It also means that we can worship like it. So what I'm gonna invite you to do right now is to stand. That what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate. We, among all people, have a reason to celebrate. Everyone who has life in Christ, we have a reason to celebrate. And today is a day of a great reminder that Jesus is alive, so let's celebrate.